You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Here's Nate. Believers in Christ Jesus have been born again, meaning that they've received a new life because of Jesus. Really, in so many ways, our life is simply attached to the life of Christ. We died with Jesus, we were buried with Jesus, we rose with Jesus, and have even ascended with Jesus. And according to Ephesians 2, we are presently seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is our spiritual position in Christ Jesus. We've received radical newness of life. And where other religions would tell its followers to behave and shape up in order to attain the blessing, Christianity teaches that by faith we have obtained the ultimate blessing, and so we are called to respond to that great blessing and that great position and that great identity with a life of obedience, putting on that newness of life, basically appropriating the great position that we've been given in Christ. A great Old Testament corollary to this would be the time when Joshua led the nation of Israel into the promised land. God promised the land to them. God gave the land to them and used much of that past tense terminology in speaking to the people of Israel. I have given to you this land. But he also told them that they needed to go into the land and take it for themselves. Every place that you set your foot upon, I will give to you. So it was already theirs, but they needed to go and experience uh, the blessings and the possession uh, that God had given to them. And the same is true in the Christian life. We are new in Christ Jesus, new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Our identity is wrapped up in him. Uh, the father looks upon us as he sees his own son, Jesus Christ, the righteous. His attributes, his faultlessness, his purity. And so we are called now in this life and in these bodies to put on this newness of life. That's why Paul said in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, Paul indicates here that he's making a rather intense appeal. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. A strong appeal that Paul is about to make. And, and the main appeal that he's making here is no longer walk as the Gentile world walks. Now, he's not speaking just of a race of people, but a way of life. You know, there in Ephesus, they had the demonic, they had 
uh, magic. You re might remember there in Acts chapter 19 that many new believers actually burned uh, a, a very valuable set of magic books uh, in their new allegiance to Christ. Uh, they were a very sensual culture as they had the worship to the goddess uh, or god Artemis or Diana. And so uh, Paul looks at them and says, listen, they're in Ephesus, all of the magic, all of the demonic realm, the sensuality, the overemphasis upon it. You, Ephesian church, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, stop your pagan lifestyle. And of course, this is repeated constantly throughout the New Testament. Romans chapter 13, verse 13, Paul tells the Roman church there, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousies. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 3, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. A couple of things that you see uh, rather consistently in the life of the Gentiles or the worldly way of life is uh, sexual immorality or an overemphasis on sensuality and also drunkenness, drinking parties, orgies. These are things that the world continues to struggle with. The Bible is not an archaic book. Uh, these are things that people think of as advanced, so to speak, or liberated. Well, Paul just tells these people in the Ephesian church, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What they have, according to Paul, is something called, verse 17, the futility of their minds. Uh, this is the futile thinking of the unconverted world. Now, they will, of course, espouse themselves to be incredibly wise and, you know, very uh, discerning. But Paul calls it the futility of their minds. This is the thought of the New Testament concerning the way of the world. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so man, after the fall, entered into this uh, deception and uh, thought that by the pursuit of sin in their deception, they would receive satisfaction. That's why Paul is saying, listen, this is futile to pursue the things they pursue. They are, as he said in verse 18, darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God. No life. He says there is ignorance that is in them. And he attributes all of this at the end of verse 18 to the hardness of their heart. He says due to the hardness of their heart. They had these calloused hearts that were unable to receive, unwilling to receive the truth of the Lord and submit themselves to the ways of God. 
This reminds us, of course, of the language regarding Pharaoh in the Old Testament when he hardened his heart against the Lord. There were little moments where it seemed as if Pharaoh was softening to the Lord, but ultimately his heart was hard and he persisted in his rebellion against the Lord. Quite literally, Pharaoh wanted to cling to uh, being deity. Uh, That's what they considered him in his culture. He did not want to give up his throne of worship, and so he would not worship the true God of heaven. And Paul re-records the idea here that he communicated in Romans chapter 1, but he says that these people have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They've just thrown themselves into this life of impurity and sensual immorality. And, you know, of course, we're living in a culture nowadays where uh, it's more common to find someone who has entrenched themselves into just the regular practice of uh, viewing and engaging with pornography uh, than it is to find someone who isn't. That person who keeps themselves pure and unspotted from that particular sin Uh, is becoming a rarity in this day and age and in this culture. And pornography itself, in in my country, a multi-billion dollar industry. And so you understand here that we are a group of people that have thrown ourselves, the world has thrown itself to every kind of impurity. Paul is telling the believers in Ephesus, this life is past tense for you. You've spent enough time living in that way. Uh, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. They are stupid. They are dumb. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Their hearts are hard. They've given themselves up to every kind of impurity. Why would you want to live and continue to live or desire to live or persist living that kind of lifestyle? And all the God's people would come out of the world and be Uh, separate, not in some kind of archaic, religious kind of way, but and not in the way in in which many have done in creating new laws that are more difficult than God's word, but in uh, simply saying, I'm going to abstain from the gross immorality of the world around me. And, you know, Christians should not be Uh, living with one another premaritally, should not be enjoying each other uh, sexually outside of marriage, should not be given to substance abuse, uh, specifically drunkenness, uh, but also the abuse of uh, drugs to alter their mind state. Christians should not be throwing themselves into this kind of practice. Paul says, do not walk in the way of the Gentiles. He says in verse 20, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul continues his first or basic exhortation of our text today by saying, listen, this old lifestyle, the way the Gentiles lived, is not compatible with with Christ. He says that is not the way you learned Christ. It doesn't 
uh, meld together. Uh, drunkenness, sexual immorality, these are things that don't connect with and don't flow with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now he gives them an incredible exhortation in verse 22 when he tells them, he says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. His exhortation, very simply, put off your old self. Now we know that our old self was crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So why do we have to put off that which has already been crucified with uh, Christ? Well, what you have in Jesus is a great position. We've, uh, our body of sin, our old self has died, been buried, and has been raised with Christ. But then there is the practice. You know, similar to perhaps a good uh, analogy of this would be when Lincoln uh, did what he did to abolish slavery in the United States. Unfortunately, after that great event, there were many slaves who still continued to live as if they were enslaved, not knowing what to do or not hearing that they had been set free. And so the Christian must go through the actual practice of saying, you know, I've been set free. My old self has died. I have a new self. So I need to be busy about the practice of putting my old self off. Lazarus in the New Testament, when he died, was buried with grave clothes and put inside of the tomb. And when he rose from the dead, he had to go through the process of taking his grave clothes off and walking in the new life that he had been given. And unfortunately, many Christians simply like to try to reform the old self than simply putting the old self off. We need to put off our greed, our anger, our laziness, our sexual immorality. Instead of simply masking them or acting as if they aren't there, we need to go through a process through relationship with Christ where we actually watch him change us and transform us and grow us and take us from glory to glory. But this comes through relationship with him. But we're to put off our old man. He says in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So first of all, we're to continue to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Now, our inner man desperately needs that renewal. You know, when, when a person comes to Christ, there are so many thoughts and so many beliefs that we hold that are inaccurate. And the spirit of our minds needs to be simply renewed. And this happens through the course of relationship over a long period of time with Christ. This can happen as well through trials and difficulty. 
and simply through a rejection of the ways of the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, resisting the world as it stands, to allow your mind to be renewed. But he tells them in verse 24 to put on the new self. Uh, positionally, the new self is already on, but practically to take on the new self, to realize that this is who I am in Christ Jesus, I'm going to put on uh, Christ. Now, how can our minds be renewed and how can we practically put on the new self? One major way that we put on the new self is by engaging with the, the Word of God. You engage with it in so many different ways, or you can. One great way is to daily sit before the Lord with his word and dig into it, pray through it, write about it. See if there's anything that stands out to you in God's word. I'm always a fan of putting a bookmark in Genesis chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 1 and reading three chapters in the Old Testament and one chapter in the New Testament daily. And if you do that, you'll get through the Bible in a little less than a year, and you'll end the Old and New Testament right around the same time. But to get into God's Word personally, I've also found that the consumption of Bible teaching also strengthens and enables me to have my mind renewed to think biblically. The problem with so many topical messages is that Years later, after I've heard them, I have to, if I can even remember them at all, draw up that particular teacher and his particular message in order to be blessed. But good expositional Bible teaching just puts the Word of God inside of my heart and inside of my mind. And of course, it's influenced by the teacher himself and his heart, his passions, his background, his generation. But to put the Word of God inside of your heart, to hide it there, to tuck it there, to let it be a, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, great things happen as you engage with the Word of God, hopefully in your local church family, but in this wonderful day and age in which we live. One of the good things about technology is that we can dig into more of God's Word through teaching that is accessible to us. Uh, via the uh, internet. So, you know, there are so many ways to dig into God's Word. Another way that we put on Christ and allow our minds to be renewed is through prayer. Even for me this morning, I was bringing to the Lord three specific areas in my own heart that just seemed to be obstacles, things that continually seem to come after me, not areas that are, you know, disqualifying in nature, but just tendencies of my flesh, things that I would like to grow in. One of them was simply just diligence and realizing that there's a lazy streak inside of my heart and crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, please, here's a thing that I want to have worked on. I don't want to be the slothful man. I want to fight and persist. I want to work hard. So strengthen me, Lord, to stay on task and to really give myself, to, to make the most of every minute of every single day. Lord, would you set your hand upon me for that work? That is a transformative, putting on the new self kind of prayer. 
I think we also put on Christ through conversations with one another where we're confessing and being honest. I think in worship and certainly by the simple power of the Holy Spirit, we can put off the old self and put on the new self in some powerful ways. Next, Paul gives us a laundry list of things to put off and also to put on as Christians. Verse 25, he tells us to be truthful people. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Again, in the New Testament, you see that so much of this behavior is motivated by the fact that we are members of one another and that we belong to each other. But here he tells them, you got to put away falsehood and you need to speak the truth with your neighbor. Satan, of course, is the father of lies, John 8, verse 44. And we know that to be true from Genesis chapter 3, where the first lie in all of human history is recorded from the lips of Satan himself. And uh, so a Christian needs to put away falsehood, uh, falsehood. You know, half-truths or exaggeration, uh, cheating, covering for others. Uh, this is uh, so often based in falsehood. And he says, speak the truth with your neighbor. Now, there are different kinds of neighbors that we have. Christians are to speak the truth with the people close to them in life. A Christian husband or wife should be very honest with their spouse. Honest with friendships. Honest with the spiritual authority in their lives. Honest and truthful with their children, with their employers, with their employees. And I found that honesty really is the best policy. Just to be an open book. Now there are, of course, uh, appropriate circles and spheres for that honesty. There's an honesty that I need to have with my wife that isn't really the concern of perhaps a friend. Uh, but in each one of those spheres, honesty is required. We are members of one another. Beyond honesty, he also says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Christians are to be angry and but not sin, but are not to let the sun go down on their anger. Now, this is a quote from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, and really is a two-part exhortation uh, from Paul. Number one, an exhortation to actually be angry. Christians are called to be an angry group of people. Now, before you misunderstand me, understand what I mean. You know, Jesus, when he walked into the temple and saw the persistence of the uh, hyper-legalistic and religious to turn the worship of God into profit and to hinder the people from being able to pray and to worship, he was rightfully angry, drove out the money changers. I believe that it was anger over what sin had done to the human species that caused Jesus to even come in the first place. There is anger without sin. And so some of the things we see in the world, 
the murder of innocent babies inside of a mother's womb, uh, the abuse of children, uh, poverty, or, uh, you know, divorce, or the broken home. These are things that should cause a Christian to become angered amongst many other things. Many people uh, sin, but are not angry. Uh, we are to be angry, but yet without sin. And uh, I think one way that we can do this is to make sure that we understand where we're coming from and how we're doing. But he secondly then says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. We are to settle accounts and there are things that will personally offend us. This is a personal anger, something that causes us to be upset personally. We need to make sure that we don't let that linger inside of our hearts. Give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give him a foothold to get inside of your life through some vein of anger. Paul then moves on in verse 28 and says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, theft was rampant among the Gentile world, and uh, many people from the criminal class had come to Christ. And so there needed to be a, an exhortation from Paul. Hey, listen, you used to steal, but now turn from that, put that off, and put on labor. Put on honest work with your own hands. Put on the habit of having something to share with anyone in need. You were previously a taker, but through Christ you can be a giver. You can share. You can be a blessing. And I believe that Christian laborers should be uh, some of the greatest blessings to the workforce. Uh, people who work hard, they accept direction, they continue to sharpen their skills, they persist in bringing a good attitude to work, they consider themselves a part of the team and not just an individual. They are dependable people. And uh, so Paul tells them, no longer steal, but labor, work with your hands, and share. Let no corrupting talk, verse 29, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here Paul talks about their speech that you need to put off corrupting talk. You know, that's what they used to do. Uh, they used to speak with evil intentions and uh, be categorized as those with the mouth of the wicked. You need to put that off and you need to put on speech that is the opposite. It builds up rather than tears down. It gives grace to those who hear. It does not grieve the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 16 verse 24 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Speak words that build up. I think Christians need to, uh, rather than underestimate, properly estimate the value and the potential and the power of their words. 
Now, verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is a focus, I think, upon the heart. And many people come to Christ, they're thankful for their forgiveness, but they don't realize that Jesus actually wants to heal their very sick and wounded and unhealthy heart, which has caused them to be bitter, wrathful, angry, clamorous, and slanderous. He says these are things that you need to put off. Instead, be forgiving. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. He is the example of what forgiveness looks like, but he's also the uh, one who empowers us to forgive. Because he forgave, we can forgive as well. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.